Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Tonight, I want to talk to you about humility. Uh, It's one of those traits that by its very nature is kind of a catch-22. You know, if someone says that they're, they're humble, like really, really humble, you probably get the vibe that they're not at all. Here in Australia, we love humility, right? We love to see it in our mates. We love to see it in our leaders. We've just been through an election here in, South, in Australia. And do you remember what the main kind of point that Labor was pushing about Anthony Albanese? They said that he was the son of a single mother who grew up in housing trust. They said he hasn't had everything handed to him. And they said he was humble. We liked that, obviously. Um, That was the message. We liked that message. We like it when people are humble. But when we turn the lens on ourselves, do we have that same desire for our life? If we think about our day-to-day interactions with people, I think there's a bit of a fear associated with being humble. You know, the fear that if we humble ourselves, if we sort of put others before us and we we think of ourselves secondary to other people, then those other people are just going to get ahead and we'll get left behind. Muhammad Ali famously said, I'll get this right, at home I'm a nice guy, but I don't want the world to know. Humble people I've found don't get very far. Is that true? Do humble people just get left behind? If you put others before yourself, does that mean that you'll just get forgotten, trampled on, taken advantage of? Suddenly this great quality of humility that we love to see in others, it doesn't look so attractive when we have to put it onto ourselves. The Bible actually has quite a lot to say about humility. And it's clear all throughout Scripture that God places great worth in the quality of humility. Proverbs 3.34 says, God mocks proud mockers, but shows favour to the humble and the oppressed. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. 1 Peter 5.5, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. And perhaps most famously, Micah 6.8, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. God values humility. So we should care about understanding what it means. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at a story from Luke 14, where Jesus says his fam- one of his many famous lines, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This story that we're about to read sits in the middle of a larger section of Jesus' teaching on what the kingdom of God is like. Just before this, in chapter 13, he's been speaking about how the kingdom of God is like a narrow door. Just after this, in chapter 15, he'll tell his famous story about the lost son. This whole big section of Luke's gospel is all about how to enter the kingdom of God. What qualities, what mindset, what posture is needed for the kingdom. And our story tonight shows the posture God wants us to have for the kingdom is that of humility. We'll look at this story from three angles. Firstly, what humility is not. Secondly, what humility is. And finally, what humility looks like. 
but it's not what it is, what it looks like. So we're going to read from Luke 14. If you've got your Bibles there or have it on your phone, it'll also be on the screen, but I do recommend following along. I'm just going to read it, verses 1 to 11. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast... Do not take the place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honoured in the presence of all the other guests." For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Cool. So I recommend keeping it open as as we go through today because I'll sort of be referring to it as we go. So firstly, what humility is not. So like many of you, I'm sure, COVID dashed a few of our travel plans. So I was pretty excited to get back on a plane earlier this year. But man, I'd forgotten the stress of that race to get off at the end. You know, you're taxiing into the gate and people start sort of edging forward in their seats. The little light goes off, people jump up, fly open the lockers, grab all their stuff, bundle up everything. The tension's building, you know, people are rising onto the balls of their feet, eyeing each other off, you know, getting to launch down the plane. Everyone's rushing and jostling for position. But despite all this rushing, what do we do? We disembark row by row, politely smiling, saying, after you. Oh, no, I insist, after you. We let that old lady in 14F gingerly pull herself up and limp her way down the aisle ahead of us. We smile, but we're staring daggers at her through the back of our head, thinking, why is she taking so long? (laughs) We do an overtake in the terminal. It's not over yet. But despite it all, we'll stand there and wait for our bags together. (laughs) And then we die a little bit inside when that same lady gets her bag and goes off first, right? (laughs) This is the first kind of false humility. Humility is not letting others go ahead and then grumbling about it. It's not having a facade of caring for someone else only to use them for your own gain or having to grumble when it inconveniences you. Humility is more than just like a uniform that you put on when you need it. Like something you can switch on and off. No, humility is part of your DNA. It's part of your reality. Because being humble for appearance's sake is always empty. The Pharisees in Luke 14 are guilty of this. Look there at verse one. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. So the Pharisees invite this crippled man to the banquet under the guise that they're showing hospitality, but they're just using him to try and trip Jesus up. They've planted this sick man in the crowd, Now, he probably feels that he's being cared for. He's probably excited to be invited. And the Pharisees look good for inviting him. But he's just being used for their own gain. They're carefully watching Jesus to see if he'll slip up. 
verse 3, Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. So the trick doesn't work. Jesus doesn't get all flustered and everything like they hoped. And the Pharisees just grumble and mutter to themselves. Humility is not having a facade of caring for others or just appearing like you're putting others first. That's what the Pharisees do. Humility is not grumbling in the aircraft aisle or rolling your eyes at the supermarket checkout after you've smiled and let someone in ahead of you. It's far more than just a public appearance of caring. The second kind of false humility is thinking that humility is all about having a low sense of yourself or thinking that you're nothing. Okay, this could not be more wrong. Jesus doesn't for one second think that he's nothing. Jesus said things like, I am the way, the truth and the life. He said things like, I am the light of the world. Jesus knows that he has all the power and all the glory of the Father in him, but he doesn't get proud and arrogant about it. He humbly submits to the Father. Tim Keller says, Jesus acts like he's nothing, but he knows that he's not. Here in our story, Luke 14, Jesus is having a bit of a scripture battle with the Pharisees. He makes a, one of the, sorry, he refers to one of the many Old Testament laws regarding what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. And in verse five, he asks them there, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. See, the Pharisees get their sense of self-worth from thinking that they know the law and the scriptures better than everyone else. They puff themselves up with their knowledge and look down on other people because of it. So they have nothing to say when Jesus comes along and completely turns the tables on them. Jesus knows that he knows the scriptures better than the Pharisees. He knows he has infinitely more knowledge and understanding of them than they do, but he doesn't parade it around. He's not obsessed with his status or what he looks like to others. He quietly and unassumingly teaches the truth. Jesus acts like he's nothing, but he knows that he's not. Humility is not thinking that you're nothing. Because thinking that you're nothing just forces you to say, poor me. It forces your gaze inward, thinking only about yourself, which is just selfishness, right? You might have heard this quote from Rick Warren before. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And this is the key as we move to the next point. Humility is not appearing that you're putting others first. It's not thinking that you're nothing or thinking less of yourself. So what is it? Let's turn to Jesus and what he says in point two, what humility is. So Jesus chooses to use what's happening in front of him at this banquet to teach his point. He sees that people are self-asserting their position by choosing the high places at the table. In the honour-shame culture of the ancient world, status was everything. Your standing in society was intimately bound to how you interacted with other people, which parties you got invited to, what property and stuff you owned, how you dressed, what you did for a job, how well taught you were, how many connections you had. Sound familiar? Nothing's really changed, has it? I'm disappointed we don't have a big long table here that we could have done a little sort of test for <laughs> earlier today. But anyway, In Jesus' day, the position that you sat at a table quite literally ranked you in level of importance. And so naturally, people wanted to sit close to the host at the top of the table. But Jesus sees this playing out in front of him 
and says in verse 8, When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. So as I said, during the week, I work as a paramedic and I reckon my favourite shift is the Saturday night shift on Hindley Street. We see some absolute characters. Uh, We'll be cruising down and we will see people lining up to get into the clubs, hundreds and hundreds of people sometimes. And we see people sort of very confidently waltzing up to the front of the queue to the bouncer, thinking that they're, you know, they're going to jump, the, jump ahead, thinking their name's on a drink list or something like that, only to be told to go to the back of the line. And they have to do that walk of shame past everyone else. That's the feeling that Jesus is trying to capture here. The person in Jesus' story feels that they need to assert their worth, to assert their value by placing themselves in a higher place. No one called them to sit there, but they presume they are worthy of that place. This is pride, presuming our status is higher than it is, presuming that we are more important than we are, presuming that we're better at something, at something than someone else. And more often than not, this is born out of an insecurity about our value. We're unsure of where we fit in. We're unsure of where, we re- of where we really stand. And so we overcompensate, right? We overreach to try and grasp onto whatever glory, whatever status, whatever value we can. Are you a person that always jumps in with the answer? Do you always try and get in and make your point before anyone else? Or do you have to succeed at everything? Do you sort of avoid anything that you might fail at? There might be some pride in your heart that you're trying to defend. Whether it's your intellect, your abilities, your social network, if it's threatened, you defend it. Because you're worried that if you lose it, you'll have nothing left. Pride is born out of insecurity about who you are, about your value, about who you're valuable to. And so you jump in with the answer before anyone else can appear smarter than you. You change the game so you'll be good at it. You take the high seat at the table. If pride is born out of insecurity, then humility must be born out of true security. Total assurance about who you are. God comes to us in, our midst, in the midst of our sin and says, I love you. You are my child. God gives us value and worth. If you're a Christian, when God looks at you, he sees his son, Jesus, and all of his love and affection for his son is given to you too. This is our standing as we come to enter the kingdom. We don't earn our seat at the table by our merit or by our achievements. We can only come because God comes to us first and gives us our value and our worth. If you're here tonight and you would not call yourself a Christian, This identity, this value can be yours too. Any worry about where you stand, any worry about who you matter to, God comes to you and affirms that you matter to him. Speak with someone here tonight about trusting Jesus with your value tonight. But let's keep reading. Let's see what Jesus has to say in verse 10. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. 
then you will be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. As we said, if you're a Christian, you have assurance about your eternal identity, which gives you freedom here in this life from having to assert yourself to other people. Freedom from having to constantly fuel your ego, from having to make all your decisions based on how it will make you look to others. You have freedom to voluntarily take the lower place. Let others go ahead because your ultimate identity is secure in Christ. This is the root of true humility, acknowledging that everything we have is from God. Our identity, our value, our status is not dependent on what other people think. It's dependent only on God. John Dixon, who's an author and pastor from Sydney, defines humility as a willingness to hold power in service of others. And I like that definition, a willingness to hold your power in service of others. Humility is not thinking that you're nothing. It's not pretending to care for appearance's sake. Humility is knowing with confidence who you are in God's eyes, the power and the gifts that you've been given by Him and willingly looking for opportunities to use it to serve others. That's what it is. And finally, what does it look like? At work recently, like all healthcare, we've been pretty under the pump for the last few years. Um, particularly the last 18 months, the demand for uh, our services has far outweighed the number of available resources. Um, it's been in the news quite a lot, obviously, especially leading up to our election a couple of months ago. When this happens across the ambulance service, the bosses activate this thing called code white, which essentially just means that the triple zero calls are too much and we can't keep up. One particularly busy night, our chief medical officer, he's the doctor with total clinical oversight of the entire service. He's like my boss's 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 boss. He jumped in his car and he went out to respond in the community. Now, he's one of the most senior doctors in the state and no part of his contract requires him to work on the road with us. But he willingly took on a job that was far below his station. He did it without being asked. He did it without grumbling. He did it without making a big deal about it. Imagine the chief medical officer coming to your house to patch up your arm or treat your bellyache. He saw a need and he jumped in, even though it wasn't his job. He willingly held his power for the sake of serving others. What was his motivation for doing this? I'll be honest, I don't know. He's so far up the ladder from me, I've never even spoken to him. But his reputation spreads far and wide across our organisation. If you're a Christian in your workplace, if you're a Christian in your unitude, if you're a Christian in your friendship group, let me ask you, how do you want to be known? What reputation do you want to have? Are you someone who is known for speaking first, who always have to have the final say, who builds themselves up? Or are you someone who's known for their quiet service, their care and support for their colleagues and friends? Someone who holds their power for the sake of serving others? When you turn up to work tomorrow or go into school or go into uni, wherever you're going, what might it look like for you to be humble? It'll be different for everyone. It might look like being happy to be the second or third lead on a project. 
It might look like ignoring the social rules and talking to someone who normally gets left out. It might look like taking on the jobs that no one else wants to do. In my world, that's mopping the truck at the end of the shift. But it's more than just doing nice things, isn't it? It's, part, it's a whole attitude. As we said at the beginning, like humility is not just this jumper you can put on when you feel like it. It's part of your DNA. So let me ask you, what does humility look like for you this week? How do you exalt yourself before others? We all do it one way or another. When you have the opportunity to receive praise, how do you take it? Do you gloat and relish in it? Or do you seek to reflect it to others and share their good work too? How do you respond when someone gets defensive towards you or tells you off? Do you snap back? Or do you engage in a calm and respectful way? What does humility look like in your life? When humility becomes part of who you are, part of your DNA, it will play out in every interaction you have with people, no matter what sphere of life you're in. People will notice how you treat them, how you react when things go wrong, how you conduct yourself. People will notice. And it's an opportunity opportunity to share the love of Jesus to them because taking the humble road is countercultural. It goes against our instincts as people. Even though we really like the idea of humility, in reality, it's hard, isn't it? It's a, it's a challenge. So just to finish, where do we find the power to be humble like this? Where do we get the strength to be humble? The Bible tells us to simply look to our Saviour, to look to Jesus, who as we're told in Philippians 2, it's there on the screen, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus is our example here. When we look to Jesus, Specifically, when we look to the cross, we see Jesus with all the assurance and all the glory of the Father, voluntarily leaving it behind to come to earth and die for us. To die on the cross so that you and me, with all of our pride and all of our self-glorification and all of our sin, we could be reconciled to God and made right before Him. What is so significant about Jesus humbling Himself to become one of us? I mean, it means so many things, but at the very least, it shows that he understands our struggle with this. He understands the battle in our heart between pride and humility. Jesus held back his power for our sake, which gives us the power to hold ours for the sake of others too. God calls us to have a posture of humility, not just because it's nice to do, not just because we should try and be good people, but because he values humility because Jesus had to humble himself to save us. So when we're faced with the choice, taking the road of pride or the road of humility, look to the cross. See your saviour humbling himself for you and remember that your God-given value and your God-given worth gives you the freedom to humble yourself before others. 
We know that this is not just for the sake of it. We know this is more than just a nice thing to do. Jesus promises that one day all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Any loss we may feel in this life, any sense that acting this way leaves us behind, we know that God will make things right on the last day. The proud will be humbled. The humble will be exalted. And as Christians, we anticipate that day. We long for that day. We don't need to jump in the aisle first. We don't need to push ahead in the queue, worried we'll get left behind. We have God-given value and worth that allows us to seek to serve others and put their needs before our own. It's what Jesus did for us. So let's go out and clothe ourselves with humility this week. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you that you are our example, that, that you did not consider your position in heaven something to be used for your own advantage, but rather you humbled yourself and became one of us. Help us, Lord, as we go out into our week to remember our identity as your children and help us to humble ourselves before others, seeking to serve them just as you did for us. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.